Hello, listeners. Jordan here. I just want to let you know that you can listen to Nighttime early and ad-free on Amazon Music. Include it with Prime. Hello, listeners. I hate to be that person, but I have to ask for your support in something. There's an annual survey in my city called the Best of Halifax. In this survey, various businesses, people, and services are nominated for their chance to earn the title of best in their respective category. I'm proud to say that Nighttime has been nominated in the category of Best Podcast, and with 20 seconds of your time, I think I have a chance to bring the award home. But let's be clear here, this isn't just an ego-driven pursuit. Awards and recognition, such as Best of Halifax, can give me the leverage I need to grow the show. So for example, when I contact a guest and invite them here to share their story, it can be difficult, and it often starts with me having to explain what a podcast is. But with the recognition that comes with a Best of Halifax award, it'll be a little bit easier for me. So please take a moment, hit pause, and visit nighttimepodcast.com, and the first thing you'll see is the Vote Now link. My mom, who is technologically challenged, managed to vote in about 45 seconds, so let's see if you can beat her record. Again, go to nighttimepodcast.com, and the first thing you'll see is the link to vote now. I really appreciate it. Now let's get to the episode. Welcome to Missing in Canada, an ongoing series by the Nighttime Podcast. Hello, listeners. And welcome back to Missing in Canada, an ongoing series by the Nighttime Podcast that explores the stories and the circumstances of Canadian missing persons cases. In this episode, series contributor Ashley Drake and I will review and discuss a collection of updates related to prior cases we've covered. And these aren't simple updates. In the cases of Katrina Blagden, Devin Marsman, Emily Bailey, and Elnaz Hajtamiri, there have been considerable game-changing developments. And tonight, we're going to get into all of them. In this episode of Nighttime, Ashley Drake and I will provide updates on past Missing in Canada cases. Ashley Drake, we're back. We're How back. have you been? Good. I've been really good. Um, just enjoying the summer, you know, taking some time. How about you? I've been good. Uh, I wouldn't say enjoying the summer. I'm much more of a like of a fall, winter, spring person. Um, I hate the bright sun. I feel like it's literally attacking me. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, I often complain whenever people try to get me to the beach. It's like I'm offended if someone asks me if I want to go to the beach with them. I'm not How a beach person you? either. Yeah. yeah, I don't. Um, I like the summer. I shouldn't say I, I don't like the heat. Um, no. I yeah. like summer nights. You know, yeah. there's that famous song. Like, I don't know what movie. Saturday Night Fever, maybe? This the summer night song. I I think the the nighttime is beautiful during the summer when you can be outside um, near a bonfire with a t-shirt and shorts on and be comfortable. During the day, if I can't be under in the shade and have a breeze hitting me, I just want to be somewhere indoors that's air conditioned. Agreed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we've we, initially we had planned to try to do like one episode a week. I haven't talked to you in about eight weeks, uh, so we're failing. But I, it's not necessarily either of our faults. What ended up happening, I think, is I got the the series I did on Emma Bailey's disappearance really like took a like a strange turn that kind of occupied four or five weeks of uh, of our 
our normal plan and then after that we just had kind of summer work stuff kind of have kept us separated but yeah uh but we're back now what have you what have you been up to what have you been doing other than enjoying summer um just you know watching and listening to some missing in canada podcasts i've been following along with all your work so Good. yeah we didn't uh we didn't fail i've enjoyed listening and um my heart goes out to the families that you've been speaking with so yeah mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a uh, very tough stories, um, one after the other, are heartbreaking. And when we get into the updates in this episode, I've realized that this the updates that we're doing are are a series of really dark, depressing stories that all the the original kind of uh, disappearances or abductions all take place in the matter of like like a month and a half or something i didn't realize that until i was kind of putting together the work for our updates but yeah. of of the stories that we we have covered in the show which we haven't been doing for very long uh, there are some significant updates and there's not really an easy way to provide an update um like a because it's not like i want to do like a you know a seven minute episode or something yeah but i thought the way we'll tackle this tonight is i've kind of collected the most significant updates related to the stories that we've covered over the past, you know, whatever it was, four or five months. Uh, and we'll just kind of run through them one by one, getting everybody up to speed and, you know, what's been happening in these stories. Yeah. Um, but just uh, you had mentioned you've been listening. So even if you're not on the episode, if it's me interviewing a family member or whatever, you, you still are checking out the episodes. It's not weird. Absolutely. No, I um, I'm here for it. So, yeah. Awesome. Uh, well, let's. I figure we should just jump into it. So the the cases that I'll we'll try not to, I guess, recap the case too much. We'll stick more with the updates. If not, we'll be here all night. Mm -hmm. But the one, uh, the first one we'll get into is probably the one that together we spent the most time on, and that was the the well, I was going to say disappearance, but the abduction of Elnaz Hashtmiri. She was abducted January twelfth, twenty twenty two, from Wasaga Beach, Ontario. Uh, in a very high-profile story, she, th that case has gotten a lot of news coverage. Nearly one month after her abduction, the family of Elnez Hashtamiri is still searching for answers. It was just after 8.30 p.m. on January 12th that Hashtamiri was taken by three men from a home in Wasega Beach. Officers with OPP say the men had been wearing police-issued gear. They fled in a white Lexus RX SUV. Police were called to this apartment in Richmond Hill in December. They say Hashtamari was assaulted, struck with a frying pan in an underground parking garage. And now York Regional Police believe that this incident is connected to her abduction. So a, a very troubling story. Yeah. Um, we had talked a lot about it. We've talked about her abduction, the earlier frying pan attack when she was attacked by two different men in an underground parking lot. Uh, and I think we, through a lot of our discussion, have narrowed down pretty closely on one suspect. Um, and not just us. This is something that I think the public collectively uh, have been have been looking at uh, as, as a possible suspect. Do you want to talk a little bit about this guy and why we suspected that he may have some explaining to do? Yeah, so of course, like most cases, it was her ex-boyfriend that we were um, suspecting, and he was also a business partner. So, yeah, yeah. His, name, his name is Mohammed Lilo. So during our episodes, we talked a lot about about him. Um, we talked about one other thing. We talked about was uh, 
one of the people that were wanted, like the last episode we did was when they identified, when the police identified two suspects of her, um, the underground attack, and we connected them to a prior um, uh, automobile theft ring yeah. that was uh, involved, a large national theft ring that was involved in stealing vehicles and exporting them out of the country uh one of the men wanted in her abduction was connected with that we had talked about it would be really interesting to know if her ex-boyfriend muhammad lilo was involved mm -hmm. in that uh further to that we talked about muhammad lilo having hired a private investigator to follow elnaz around except that private investigator happened to not be surveilling her for like the hour or so during this abduction well mm -hmm. All those things are important to know because they all kind of fit into the update. Uh, probably not much of a surprise to many people. The ex-boyfriend of Elnaz Hajtamiri, Mohamed Lilo, was charged with kidnapping related to the Saga Beach abduction and also faces charges of attempted murder and attempted kidnapping in connection with the, um, the underground parking frying pan attack. Nearly 24 hours after his arrest in the Montreal area, an arrival escorted by police at Lake Simcoe Regional Airport, Mohamed Lilo was before a justice of the peace in a virtual Barry courtroom this afternoon. Lilo charged in connection with the disappearance of Elnaz Hajtamiri, his former girlfriend who was in hiding in Wasaga Beach on the night of January 12th. Police initially charged Lilo with criminal harassment nine days after her disappearance. The OPP say Lilo had threatened Hajtamiri and said he was providing very little help to investigators. The latest charges from police link Lilo for the first time to the alleged attack in Richmond Hill before Christmas and abduction in Wasaga Beach weeks later. What was said in court today is protected by a publication ban, including a list of names Lilo is not to communicate with. Family confirmed to CTV News, Hatchtamiri's vehicle had tracking devices on it at the time of the alleged parking garage attack on December 20th. Speaking with Lilo's lawyer, Philippe Grenier, in Quebec, he confirmed to CTV News Lilo is pleading not guilty. Grenier also said if the case goes to trial, it'll be in French, and he hopes to have his client bailed out at the next available opportunity. Lilo is back in court July 18th. Police maintaining all along their hope is to find Elnaz alive. I'm not surprised at all to get this update. No. I'm guessing you're not. Not at all, no. Um, mm -hmm. It's unfortunate that um, Elnaz hasn't been found. Um, it would be nice to have you know, a more complete update, but like we've been saying all along, it's going in the right direction. So I think this is just one more step along the way. Yeah, it's, it's slowly tiptoeing towards yeah. the, I guess, what a lot of people expect to be happening but yeah Elnaz is still missing yeah. within this um, her family did release a statement um, I'm going to read through that here it's only short her family says these past six months have been grueling and painful since Elnaz's disappearance as we've continued to search endlessly for her we've been met with nothing but silence from the abductors and not a trace has been found of our beautiful girl we hope that the arrest of this suspect will bring us closer to finding her so short and sweet yeah. and i think um they're well and they're certainly on their way if they have the people involved in the underground parking lot attack in custody one of them in custody the other they're still looking for i believe uh the ex-boyfriend is arrested and charged in both cases so they must have significant evidence against him if they're able to do yeah. that uh they're right in the ballpark um with 
the people close to the story. It's just, I guess, a matter of like the way I kind of see it is these people are likely going to start talking against who's responsible for what. And maybe that's when the truth eventually comes out when one of them points the finger at one of the other ones. Yeah. Um, now, I mentioned before we started with the update, I had mentioned that the the theft ring and that we suspected it could potentially be involved uh, just before we went uh, live and started recording this episode. I was just searching some some dates for Elnaz's story, and in doing so, and I noticed an article was just published in the Toronto Life, I think it is, which is like a Toronto-based newspaper. Um, and it was it's an opinion piece written by by a journalist, but it uh, it speculates that Mohammed Lilo is likely involved in that theft ring, and the article cites. Um, an anonymous source who spoke to the journalist uh, and said that this is not that Elnaz's case isn't domestic in nature. It is more to do with what she may or may not have known about the theft ring. Yeah. Uh, but but again, that's, I guess, to be taken with a grain of salt when you're talking about an anonymous source and sort of an opinion piece written for a Toronto paper. But I think um, I think it would make a lot of sense if all of that is kind of mixed in a bit of domestic violence mm -hmm. misogyny sort of thing mm -hmm. mixed with knowing too much about dangerous people yeah definitely um i think it's only a matter of time before the full nature of what had happened comes to light and maybe the ontario police know at this point and they're just they're they're very carefully taking it step by step and although it's taken them a while uh, they're getting results it seems yeah I'm Samantha Cole, host of the new season of Understood, The Pornhub Empire. Over the course of four episodes, I'll tell you how a horny YouTube knockoff in Canada came to dominate the porn world, only to shatter their cheeky reputation in a massive scandal. The Pornhub Empire is a new season of Understood from the CBC. Available now wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Aaron Habel of Generation Y, and with me is Jack Luna of Dark Topic. We'd like to introduce you to Marooned, a new podcast that's sure to capture your attention. Tales of the catastrophically lost are what we have to offer. Hikers swallowed by the woods. Explorers discovering nothing but destitution. True crime calamity. Oddities of harrowing human experience. It's a museum of misadventure. So pack a lunch. Subscribe to Marooned wherever you find podcasts. We are waiting. Please hurry. Thank you. The next one to get into this, I think this ended up being a two part series that, and I'm talking about the disappearance of Katrina Blagden. She disappeared December 31st, 2021 in St. Catharines, Ontario. 37-year-old Katrina, or Trina Blagden, was last seen New Year's Eve. Her boyfriend told her family he and Trina went to bed together in their St. Catharines home the night before. When he woke up, she was gone. Trina's family is from out of town and have been staying in the Niagara community since early January. Trina's family says they still have hope. We're not going to stop. We will not stop. We did it as a two-part series. The first part was you, was you and I just kind of recounting the main details of her disappearance. And the second part was um, an interview I had done with um, like a lifelong 
best friend, almost like sister to Katrina. Um, There'd been a lot of finger pointing and speculation about what the boyfriend knew and what he didn't know and why he was kind of being cold to Katrina's family and friends during the search. Um, An update is revealed. uh, And it is a bit different than what we have with with Elnaz. This one, I, I don't think I... I didn't expect it to turn out this way, but in short, Katrina's body was discovered May 4th. But after, um, in the way, the way it was discovered is St. Catherine's Hydro employees called police to report uh, the body, a deceased person, in the water near a uh, hydro generating station in Port Dalhousie, which is not too far from where she was last seen in, in St. Catherine. So her body was found in the water uh, six days later police uh, released the uh, forensic pathologist report stating that foul play was not suspected very little in the way of details aside from that though but like that could still leave you guessing accidental or suicide or whatnot Mm -hmm. but i suppose what they're saying is they don't have any evidence of you know her having been murdered which is i i think a lot of people online that was what they were suggesting was likely to be the outcome of this right yeah. Uh, much like Elnaz's uh, case, uh, Katrina's family have released a statement, but this statement, I don't know, it casts some some doubt on what the police say about yeah. foul play. At, at least when I read between the lines, I'll, I'll read the statement and let's hear what you think about you know what they're saying here. So Katrina's family says, we are finally able to give our beautiful girl the dignity and rest she has been denied. We're extending an invitation to those that have supported us, both near and far, to pay their respects. As you can imagine, this is a bittersweet moment for us. We're finally able to rest after four months of searching, postering, being followed, being harassed, being moved from Airbnb to Airbnb, traveling from home to St. Catharines, and simply trying to maintain our own obligations and responsibilities. As we take that break we so desperately need so that we, we may grieve, Please know that we support each and every one of you. This case is not closed. We will not rest until we've exhausted every legal avenue available to us. The injustice against her person, her legacy, her reputation, and her estate will be put to right. This is the way we will honor her. So that's... Yeah, I had the same um, statement in my notes because it's, Mm -hmm. you know, it just says so much, like you said, reading between the lines. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm I'm seeing like I'm trying to th- decide if they're speaking between the lines to her live in boyfriend or to the police or what. But the, the kind of the moments that I look at is uh, within the statement. One of them, one of the things they talk about is moving from Airbnb to Airbnb. And I remember in talking to her family and reading uh, a lot of what they wrote online, they had spoke about um her boy, her boyfriend staying in the home after she disappeared and making it so that the family couldn't use her house as kind of like a home base. And they were instead being forced to go from Airbnb yeah. to Airbnb. So I see that as a bit of a statement against him. Yeah. Um, and then another part is uh, we will not rest until we've exhausted every legal avenue available to us. So that's stating, you know, something's going to happen legally in terms of courts or whatnot. It says the injustices against her person, legacy, reputation, and her estate will be put to rights. To rights. Yeah. When it says her estate, 
I'm again thinking of the boyfriend because I remember living in the house. And remember there was a situation where they wanted to give Katrina's teenage teenage child her vehicle, but the, it seemed like there was some kind of conflict in getting it from the boyfriend. Um, It just seems like they're still kind of clapping at him a little bit, although not specifically naming him. But I I don't believe we've Mm -hmm. heard the end of this story. As far as calling it a disappearance, that's no longer the case. Katrina is is found deceased without evidence of foul play. Um, But again, her family continues to maintain that there was some wrongdoing um at least that's how the statement comes across to me it's just they're not specific if 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 court documents are ever, ever filed related to the case we'll know exactly what what these comments are referencing yeah. but i think at this point we probably have a pretty good idea yeah uh, a sad end to to that to that story but it's I often think like, is it better to just like to not know and continue to search endlessly or get the answer that you've been dreading? I know. And I don't, and I don't know that you would ever know until you were in that situation. And... No matter what, it's a, it's a nightmare. Mm-hmm. And she has kids and yeah. family and who love her and tons of supporters. From all across the country. Yeah. Next one I'll get into is one that, as far as an update, the next case will will update, is one that um, really took on a life of its own. Uh, I, I don't, I, th- I believe it was a listener wrote to me and, and let me know about this, the disappearance of Emily Bailey, who's a, a mother of two, uh, who was last seen right around New Year's uh, 2022 in Hamilton, Ontario family and friends of a missing Hamilton woman spent the day posting flyers across the city in hopes that someone will find her. Her family says it's out of character for her not to talk to them or post on social media, something she hasn't done in weeks. I am a mess. I need my daughter back. Wherever she is, just please come home. We love you, miss you. I joined a Facebook group her family had set up contacted her mom who is uh, like a very kind of public and vocal supporter and advocate for Emily uh, and I invited her to come on the show and talk to me so her mom joined me and, and again talked like the basics of the story after that I had talked with her uh, her brother who was she was very close with and, and he kind of elaborated more about who she is and what she was like and who she was associated with and that's kind of when all hell broke loose, because from that I heard from a friend of Emily's, uh, her name is Nikki. She came on the show and she told me a whole different side of Emily's disappearance. She told me that Nikki's boyfriend's brother, Jeff, was dating Emily at the time. Emily was with him. After he disappeared, Jeff kind of went off the map for a few days. And when he came back, he his arm was all cut up. And Nikki, uh, like, she made me pretty suspicious of Jeff. Uh, I didn't get into this in the episode. But after this whole thing with the Nikki episode happened, I heard from the Hamilton police. Oh. And that doesn't usually happen to me uh, in, in covering an episode, in covering a story. Uh, the Hamilton police... Um, requested access to like you know the episode 
um, the full episode or the full interview, which I shared with them. Uh, Nikki came on the show willingly, so I like she had nothing to hide by coming on. I can only assume, and I had no reason to not give it to them. Mm-hmm. Um, but that kind of told me that some nerve was struck <laughs> during that episode if they were interested. And it wasn't one Hamilton police officer. It was actually like three. One asked for it, and then like a technical person got involved, like an IT person, and another cop that I think was like in like a sort of like assistant or admin or something mm-hmm. like that. But anyway, it got some serious attention that episode. So something was said on that that was important. And the next one, part four of that series, was M- the father of one of Emily's children. His name is Brandon. He came on the show and gave even more um, troubling information about what was going on in Emily's life just preceding her disappearance. He specifically talked a lot about Jeff Johnson and kind of the unanswered questions that a lot of people have about Jeff. You just texted me today because I think you had just listened to that episode and there was kind of a bombshell in the fourth part that surprised you. What was that? Yeah, I had watched the three previously and then today I was just trying to catch up and I saw that and the the part that shocked me was that um, he alleges that she was pregnant with Jeff's mm-hmm. baby. Yeah, and he, that... he told her that at the end of November, he thought mm-hmm. that she want maybe potentially wanted an abortion, which perhaps triggered the downward spiral. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's and I had no reason to not believe Brandon. No, um, no. So and, and it like it makes a lot of sense as well. Yeah. When you, when you kind of as it's all playing out like that happening within this is oh yeah, and that then also, really made it scary. Yeah, that he also had um, Jeff is apparently in jail on previous domestic abuse charges and has mm-hmm. charges against him by multiple women. Yeah. yeah. Cause we had the way Nikki described it is Jeff was in prison for like a, a shoplifting yeah. kind of theft thing. And she even said like, he has not, you know, like he is not a violent guy. He's never done anything violent. Yeah. Brandon said like uh, BS on that. Yeah. He, and what Brandon said, I think his little exact words were like, he almost beat his last girlfriend to death yeah. and she's a she's a friend of emily's well i will tell you that so the, the few behind the scenes updates is one the police were really interested in this series the other one is i did speak with the the prior young woman who jeff is alleged to have uh attacked um i spoke with her quite a bit i was i invited her on the show if she was interested or wanted to do it she didn't and I can understand why mm-hmm. she's uh, horrifically traumatized. The way she described it to me is he tried to murder me and I'm lucky to be here. Wow. Um, and she is, he is being charged and she has basically left the city and is all but hiding out until the dust settles on the legal case against him. Uh, she made a post on Facebook actually that I shared. I didn't, I didn't read it on an episode though. Let me, just quickly get to it and I'll read it now because she had what she did is she knew that the episode with Brandon was coming out and she's referenced in there because Brandon says you know he beat up an ex-girlfriend so he Brandon must have told her that that was coming because she made a post kind of saying like I'll I'll read it to you she addresses this upcoming episode she says hi every this is a, a 
Facebook, a public Facebook post she made. She says, hi, everyone, a public service announcement. There's a new podcast being released today about my abusive ex. I'm not responding to any messages about him uh, or to anyone that only ever talks to me when it's about the latest gossip. I don't know anything other than what he did to me and, and who he is. I wish I had more so I could help Emily, but I don't. So again, please save your accusations and messages playing detective for someone else. This isn't TV. This is real. There's a girl missing, and he almost took my life. Be respectful and have some empathy. Be considerate to the family and other people this could be affecting. And, and stop trying to add me if I don't know you. <laughs> but anyway, the, I guess the key part of that is she, she's even saying publicly he almost took my life. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I've heard a, a few versions of what he actually did to her, um, but until it kind of goes through court, better left, better left unsaid. But yeah. um, the, every version that I've heard sounds like you know a murder. Were it not for her being you know fortunate enough to survive yeah. and wake up from it, but um, pretty horrific. But after the that whole thing happened with that series of episodes. I knew the police were interested because they were, you know, getting copies of my episodes and my files and all this stuff. Um, a listener had wrote to me and said, uh, Hey Jordan, like I live, you know, just around the corner from Jeff Johnson. Uh, I just drove by his house and there was a, uh, like a forensic van and a whole bunch of police there. Something's going on. So I got to writing uh, different people that are associated with Emily's story. I called the police trying to see if they would tell me anything. Um, eventually, what I learned is that, yes, there was a significant search happening at Jeff's house uh, related to Emily's disappearance. There's, and I'll give you more of the background, but just to read you kind of like the two or three paragraph version that, that the news covered because uh, because this just this just did this did make the news in Hamilton but basically the article that was published says police spokesperson Jackie Penman confirmed they have obtained a search warrant at an address on the Weir Street on a, on an address on Weir Street North as part of the investigation into the disappearance of Emily Bailey no further developments in this investigation have been re have been released we continue to encourage any individuals with information about emily's disappearance to come forward emily's friends and family deserve to know what happened to her so very short and sweet updates but what i've been told behind the scenes is that shortly after emily's disappearance uh, jeff decided to basically gut his kitchen is the version that i got um, like removed everything, including flooring and subfloors is what I've been told, but that's nothing that's been confirmed. But what I've been told is that all of that, this situation with him deciding to gut his kitchen is one of the factors that led to, um, the police getting approval to have the search warrant. But it's, it's shocking to me that they were only able to search this house, given everything that's kind of suspicious about Jeff, they were only able to search his house like seven months after he disappeared and after he's renovated his kitchen. Yeah, I tried to, I tried to go back and I wasn't sure if it was Nikki or Brandon that said it, but it was mentioned that he, his house could not be searched directly after because he had COVID. 
or he said he had, said COVID. He had COVID yeah. and the, the timing of that is just so unfortunate like he had so much time to dispose of things if there was anything there um I, I don't see how, how that could possibly be a, a factor that they wouldn't go in and search that at that time yeah seriously like uh, i i've seen a lot of like companies and people get out of things uh mm -hmm. due to covid yeah you know, but like, not a you know a potential not something like this you know, missing but, person case yeah. but for, for a while there you'd go in any business and the service would just be miserable yeah. and they're like oh you know COVID. COVID. yeah and you know and you can't really complain but when it's like you know your your girlfriend that we hear is pregnant with your baby has disappeared uh, you're all cut up and you've claimed that it was done with sharpening an axe and you've been missing for days, mm -hmm. like, you know, and you're facing charges because you almost beat your last girlfriend to death. Yeah. You know, that, you should look in your house yeah. and you, I got COVID. Yeah. Just that little bit oh. of extra time, you know, just to even th yeah. to think and plan was an advantage and clean to him, and, right? Like yeah. if he wasn't cleaning, he could have been planning. Yeah. Yeah. Some, it's just, it's shocking to me. Yeah. Um, if I was on the police, like, and if that's even true, if I was on the Hamilton police and that was happening, I'd be like, I would volunteer. I'm just like, I'll put on three masks and I'll go in. I don't care if he has COVID. Yeah. And that but, could have been hearsay, right? Because I don't see how that is whatever stand, but yeah, it does seem yeah. pretty bizarre, but regardless, uh, as far as I know, he is locked up now awaiting charges, uh, in the, in the prior case that, mm -hmm has a lot of similarities to Emily. Even when I look at the prior person, um, the prior girl with, with the charges against him or prior woman, yeah. uh, she even looks like Emily. Wow. They're friends with Emily. And it's, it's like, it's just crazy that you can get away with it if he did get away with it and then do it again if he did do it again um, before kind of the hammer drops on you. But yeah. uh, I think if the police, again, if they have enough evidence to search the house i th i think they're on the trail but it's just the fa the idea that a young woman could just go missing like that and nothing happened and her not turn up i just i feel so bad for her family i know they're yeah. heartbroken because i've talked to them and i've heard it firsthand yeah um yeah anyway i have a feeling it won't be long before there's more updates in that one as well mm -hmm. um We'll start ending this with a local case. Uh, you're also in Halifax, in the Halifax area, like I am. I can't imagine you go very far without seeing a poster of Devin Marsman. Uh, are, are his posters in and around your area as well? I see them all over. Yeah, my I've seen them everywhere, but I'm kind of close to the area where um, a lot of the stuff took place. So I've, you know, there's been a lot of uh, missing person posters and I've seen a lot of my Facebook friends sharing things because it's the same community so mm -hmm. yeah. uh, I'm the same and yeah. it's actually like his disappearance kind of involves multiple places because yeah. uh, Devin he was last seen in Spryfield Nova Scotia on February 25th but before that he was seen somewhere he was at a house in Clayton Park yeah uh, which is another part of Halifax and he's from an area that's kind of more central Halifax. Yeah. So he's there's kind of like a few locations associated with him. Yeah. And so the postering has been done in kind of like all across Halifax and now all across the province yeah. and throughout Canada as a result of that. But it's also so many people, like everyone knows everyone. I have a, my Facebook 
the feed. I have so many people that are either sharing it just to raise awareness or sharing it because they went to school with him or their kids went to school yeah. with him or they taught them, taught him or were on like a sports team with him. It just seems like everybody knows this kid. Um, I, I met with his mom, like uh, the episode I did, I met with his mom outside of an elementary school in Halifax. We just sat down on a picnic table and went through his whole story and I didn't like I don't I don't think many people knew much about his story other than the basics so I when I met with his mom I really just wanted to get you know as much new information as I could because as far as I knew it was just this innocent sweet kid who had never been in trouble that simply disappeared in talking to his mom I learned that there was certainly a lot more to it um Devin had stopped going to school shortly before his dis or a little bit before his disappearance but right after his disappearance his mother learned that he kind of had two separate and distinct groups of friends one group is the group that Devin's mother knew about and approved of the other group is a group that Devin's mother did not know and certainly did not approve of of course the people he was with at the time of his disappearance was the group that the mother uh, that his mother would not wanted would not have wanted him to be with um when i spoke to his mom i was say she had told me one of the people he was with was his cousin and i wouldn't want him with his cousin because his cousin is bad news uh during the interview his mom didn't say the cousin's name and didn't elaborate on his cousin i had even asked like you know is there anything you can tell me about him like who is he what's his story and I could tell that she wanted nothing to do with putting his name on the public record. Um, in everything that I read about Devin's disappearance, people would reference he was with someone, but nobody was saying anything about who this person was. Um, and I thought that was weird. I thought maybe it was being done to maybe uh, not spoil an investigation or something of that nature. but. I think what's more likely is that this is somebody that a lot of people are terrified of uh, and for pretty good reason. Um, however, it's all changed because after doing that episode a month or two later, um, his uh, the cousin's name is now on the public record. Many people have named him on a Facebook group dedicated to Devin's case. Uh, so there are posts getting shared all over the place about uh, basically calling out this guy. Um, but that's what we'll share tonight. Uh, so you listen to the episode and you've seen the the, the Facebook posts yes. naming this guy. Do you think this, is this a significant kind of update that we're gonna get into? It is, and I did some Googling on mm. um, the cousin and I found some concerning information so i can see why people are you know afraid to come forward um with his name but it's good that it's out there yeah so i'll read you the 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 first time his name was put on the record was um this anonymous post to the facebook group that uh devin's supporters and family have um to raise awareness for his his case like when you in it for people who don't use facebook you, you a facebook group which is you know a chat room where people can share posts and comment on them and communicate and stuff um generally when you post to these groups your name or your account is associated with it 
but some groups give you the option to post anonymously where in in which case rather than saying you know jordan or ashley say this it just says group member says this so uh, just a few weeks back, maybe about a month ago, one of these anonymous posts to Devin's Facebook, to Devin's, to the group discussing Devin's case said this. Update. We are not accusing anyone. This is just a timeline of events as we know it, uh, as we know it today, in hopes that someone has seen or heard something. On, th on Thursday, February 24th, in the evening, we know that Trayton Marsman and Austin Gugu were with Devin at Stephen Johnson's house in Clayton Park. Stephen, his girlfriend Brandy Carey, her friend Kiki Rogers, and Riley Lucas were also there. They said they were not there for very long. Thank you to all to thank you to all of you for helping us update this timeline. The three boys, Austin, Trayton, and Devin, left there approximately 11.30 p.m., according to Brandy, and went back to Trayton's house. So Trayton's house is the one in Spryfield. Trayton, of course, is his cousin. It says, there was a, oh, uh, where is it here? Oh, on February 25th, uh, this may help people remember, there was a really big snowstorm. So they're just talking about the weather that day in hopes that it could help jog someone's memory. Um, it says, Devin left Trayton's house at 1230 in the afternoon in a cab and went to Romans Avenue near the baseball, near the basketball court where he spent 6.5 hours. And we don't know what he did there, or who he was with. Uh, we, we know he did not go to his house in his, as his family was home that day. So just to give a bit of context there is so Devin, his cousin and the other fella were at a house in Clayton Park. They left and went to his cousin Trayton's house in Spryfield. Devin got a cab from the house in Spryfield to a basketball court on Romans Avenue, which is very close to where Devin lives. Um, but they are saying Devin didn't go home because his family was there and they would have seen him. Devin then took a cab back to his cousin Trayton's house at 7 p.m. And that is the last we know for sure. His mom confirmed that it was Devin's voice who called the cab and the police have confirmed it was Devin who was in the cab back to Trayton's. He was dropped off in McIntosh Run Estates at Trayton's house on Gala Drive. And that's all we know. We, do, we don't know if he went into the house or if he, did, if he did or didn't go into the house. Trayton and Austin, the other two guys, have spoken to the police and they say they don't know what happened to Devin. There's no activity on any of his devices, no activity on his bank account, and no trace of him since this. So the last bit of that update then is his mother heard the phone, the recorded phone call of him ordering the cab, said it was him. They had video of him getting in the cab and getting dropped off at his cousin Trayton's house. There's no sign of him after that. So I think the, the most important part of this Facebook post, other than giving kind of the timeline, is specifically naming everyone involved, including Trayton. Mm -hmm. Um. You said you Googled him. I did too. Mm -hmm. And there's quite a bit that comes up for Trayton Marsman. What's what stood out to you? Um, basically, he's just very well known to police. He was a passenger Certainly. charged with obstruction in a shooting incident with RCMP during a traffic stop. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so like shooting at police. Shooting at police. Uh, yeah, he was the passenger, yeah, it, but he was still in the vehicle with you know someone with a gun that was shooting at police. Um, yeah. Separate to that, I found he was uh, he was charged after a loaded firearm was seized in the vehicle he, that he was in. 
this is just uh, May that this happened. Oh. He was the vehicle was stopped in relation to an ongoing investigation by the integrated gun guns and gang unit. So two people were charged, uh, Trayton Marsman and uh, another guy that's not associated with this story, but uh, Trayton was charged with careless handling of a firearm, uh, possession of a weapon for a dangerous purpose, carrying a concealed firearm, unauthorized possession of a firearm, possession of a firearm, knowing its possession is unauthorized, which sounds like some of the other ones. Anyway, it goes yeah. on and on about ammunition and yeah. firearms. And, and there's even more. Did you find any others? Yes, there was a charge of assault when a man was assaulted by two men at a bar. So he was mm -hmm. one of the men that assaulted somebody. Yeah, lots so, of violent and, charges against him. Yeah, yeah. like I, uh, what comes up really is like guns and violence. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like gangs and drug units. Yeah, you um, can see why his mom was, you know, shocked and concerned that he was spending time with this person. Mm, yeah, certainly, and it was all like, like then to think about the fact that. Devin wasn't in school. Yeah. Was with his cousin. Maybe like he was got mixed up in this stuff. Yeah. And Who I know knows? that she had said he wasn't working. So where was he getting money from, to, you know, to, to live this kind of life? So, yeah. 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 And his mom, one thing that I like, I didn't challenge her on this much, but she did say one of the things that she said that stood out to me is that um, when he was reported missing, they hadn't heard from him for a few days and it wasn't uncommon for that to happen. That kind of just rung as a little, it rung as odd to me. Like, I, I guess yeah. when you know, it's a teenager and stuff, I would leave my house and, you know, not come back for a day, stay over at my friend's house or something. But I think if I was gone for a couple of days, people would really be freaking out. But yeah. Um, yeah. And he didn't, uh, he didn't have a cell phone. Uh, he didn't have a cell phone that had like data and exactly. phone service. He had, he had a cell phone that he could just hop on Wi-Fi with and stuff. Yeah, but. yeah, that stood out to me as well. Yeah, but it's um, I think uh, this fella's name being on the public record, um, maybe that's a good thing. Although, um, I don't know, is, is it better to have the names out there or have the police know them and be able to just do their thing? I, I think it, it maybe it'll just get someone talking. Yeah, I think maybe it could just get people talking, especially where there was multiple people involved, you know, prior on that night, you know, earlier before he actually went missing. Um, mm -hmm. People might be scared to have their name lumped in with his. Um, so mm -hmm. it might get people talking that way. And yeah, the police it, very well could have known his name and we just didn't know it. So they, you know, he could have been on their radar anyway. Oh, I'm sure. We never I'm know sure like what's going on there. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure he was. Yeah. But I think just like you said, when different people don't want their name involved in this with so many stories, when you got and with especially with crime, when you have a group of people, um, once the heat kind of turns up, mm -hmm. you know, maybe the loyalty's there and they'll protect each other. But as like at when every day passes, the heat gets turned up a little bit and the relationship slowly sour. And eventually it gets to the point where one of the like the either the person with the most blame tries to pass it off on someone else within the group and then everyone starts talking or someone who's hardly even involved goes to the police and tells them exactly what happened and you know and it all kind of boils over yeah. so i think it's just a matter of time before the hornet's nest is kicked yeah um i think uh given how much time has passed his his mother had said to me she fears that he's being held somewhere against his will or being trafficked or something like that. I just don't see that as a 
as the outcome with like you know a 19 year old man or something a 19 year old man i i think um given the passage of time i don't think this is going to end well i think it's a it's a question of well will the truth be will the truth come to the surface in this case yeah and i think of course as a mother that's what or you know a father we would all hope you know that's the worst case scenario mm -hmm. but you you know you would want no one would want their kid missing and being trafficked um but it's a better mm -hmm. alternative so it's you know it's you would hold on to that yeah yeah and that and then the whole thing about just like holding on to hope it's different yeah. for like when i was sitting there with her as an outsider to kind of put play the story through in my head i was just i'm just thinking like i just don't see that yeah being what's happening here but yeah i'm sure maybe like you know if it's if it's your kid oh, it's probably hard to accept what yeah. likely what the most likely outcome is yeah um, but yeah, that's a, those are some pretty big updates for a for a series of stories. Like all of these, I th like I think covering current ongoing missing person cases rather than you know choosing ten or fifteen year old stories. I think this is probably going to happen to us quite often because it's yeah. you know every one of these stories we're going through in Katrina Blagden's it's the story's all but over, with the exception of whatever legal activity comes up next. But on the, in the other cases, it just seems like we're tiptoeing towards an answer yeah. and new details are slowly surfacing. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's only a matter of time before we're providing another update on some of these cases. I think so too. Um, all right. Well, we'll start wrapping it up, Ashley. Anything uh, you're really looking forward to in the next, like, to, let's lighten the mood before we end. Is there any TV shows or movies or anything nice that you have going on that you want to share with the people as a palate cleanser? This is maybe not nice, but I just bought myself an Xbox because you know what? how I love horror movies. So I asked you, I was like, do you play Xbox? Um, yeah, you wrote me and you're like, do you play Xbox? I was I'm thinking, did you text the wrong person no, or you lost your me. mind? So I love scary <laughs> stuff. I've kind of like ran through all the horror movies. It's not really doing it for me anymore. So there's um, there's some horror games for Xbox. And I'm playing one now and it's so scary. So what is it? It's I don't know. So I thought it was called Visage. But then when I was okay. looking at like I can't really play it very well. So I was looking at cheats on YouTube. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> Um, and they were calling it Visage, which I don't think that's Vis right, but it's okay. V-I-S-A-G-E, and it's scarier than any movie I've ever watched. So wow, that's been occupying that's, my time. <laughs> that's a weird like transition. Like I've seen all the current horror movies, so I'm gonna get a video game console and yes. get some horror games. It's very scary, very scary. Yeah, cool. I'll check it out. <laughs> I'm watching uh, on Netflix. They just added a like a three or four part documentary series about Woodstock '99. Uh, I just I finished was, that tonight. Okay, yeah. I'm I'm enraged watching it because I hate the world as a result of it. But uh, I I remember Woodstock '99 very clearly. Yeah. Well, it's like a black eye in the history of music. I had it was an alert like, set because I saw the preview and I was like, I need to watch that. So I've been I yeah. I binged. I watched like two episodes last night and then one tonight before this. Um, okay. But oh, it was yeah, it was you know a, a really bad stain, but. That Limp Biscuit, you know, crowd that looked fun. Like I wanted to be <laughs> really? there. Oh my before, god! I look like, at that the, and the I think riots. I wouldn't. Yeah. That, before the that's all I was uh, thinking was like, man, that would have been so good to see Limp Biscuit at Woodstock. <laughs> oh my god! I was thinking you couldn't pay me. Oh no! And there's not enough money in the world for me to be at a Limp Biscuit. Yeah. No. Uh, concert in the heat. Yeah. Although, although would uh, Limp Biscuit 
they've kind of made a bit of a turn. They have like a new album out and they've kind of like redeemed themselves a little okay, bit. I but I will have to look I that. will for I will forever see them as like kind of the epitome of like Brodom and yeah. all this horrible stuff. And, you know, the Woodstock 99 documentary really shows yeah. kind of not not so much a, a bad statement against the band themselves, but just a bad statement about kind of society and the bros. kind of the music scene the bros at that at time. The show. Yeah. Yeah. Limp yeah. Bizkit is like still like what, what I need to get like, you know, pumped up. That's what I, I listen to Limp Bizkit. <laughs> wow yeah you aren't cool no i'm i'm like stuck in i don't know i wasn't even like i was like 10 years old at this time but yeah i'm still stuck in that decade (laughs) all right well you got to get rolling then yeah (laughs) gotta go some breaks and stuff (laughs) (laughs) all right ash well thanks for catching up with me yeah i want to thank you for joining ashley and i for our discussion If anyone listening has any information related to any of the cases we discussed, please contact the relevant law enforcement agency. Additionally, if anyone close to these stories would be interested in speaking with me, I'd very much like to hear from you. You can find me at nighttimepodcast.com slash contact. And with that, I'm going to wrap up this episode. But before we part, I have to give some thanks. First, a big thank you to Ashley Drake for sharing another evening with me and with you, the listeners of Nighttime. I'd like to thank Monty Data for contributing the music for this episode. But the most important thanks of all goes out to every one of you listening, as without your interest and your support, this show would be as pointless as it would be impossible. But with that said, keeping this show alive is and has always been an uphill battle. So if you want to take a bit of weight off the show's back, make sure you're listening on the premium feed. Not only does the premium feed keep the show alive, it'll give you more of each topic than you'll find here on the free feed as I add exclusive content regularly and maintain a full back catalog of episodes only on the premium feed. So for about the price of a cup of coffee, give the show a pat on the back by going premium at patreon.com slash nighttime podcast. And on the topic of the freemium feed, let me thank the newest subscribers, Chris, Hannah, and Kirsty. Thank you for going premium. And for anyone else who'd like to support the show but can't do it financially, you can give me a big hand by simply sharing this episode on social media and letting some like-minded friends know what we're doing here. If you have any story ideas or if you want to give feedback on the show or if you'd like to contribute a voice memo for an upcoming episode, you can do all that and more at nighttimepodcast.com contact. I hope to hear from you. But until then, take care of each other Hug your loved ones tight, and let me know if you see anything weird. The Nighttime Podcast is written, hosted, and produced by Jordan Bonaparte. Hi. Her name is Elspeth. Elspeth Tassioni. You know her as the offbeat but brilliant defense attorney from The Good Wife and The Good Fight. You've been a very busy little bee. Buzz, buzz. Now, she's in New York with the NYPD. This is very different. But still using her unconventional ways to find the truth. You're trying to sniff me, Miss Tassioni? (laughs) Elspeth, new series Thursdays on Global. Stream on Stack TV.